Hi guys, welcome to another episode of Business Shit. This is season three, episode two. And today we have a very special guest. We're here with Audrey of Grayson. She is a bad ass entrepreneur, not just the founder of Frank and Eileen, which we'll talk about, but also Grayson, which is where we are here today. So welcome to Business Shit, Audrey. Thank you so much, Mimi. I'm really excited to be here because, um, so we sort of met, but didn't meet. Right? Exactly. So or I thought that we me. were already really good friends yeah. when I saw you today. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, so nice to meet you. And she's like, well, we know each other. We are already really close. Yes. So you saw me speak at the Riveter. Yes. Okay. And then, um, you know, when I speak, it's sort of a blur. Because I think I'm like in the moment and then after I'm like, what did I say? It was probably something really inappropriate and awful, no, but it people was, love it. It was super exciting. There were, I mean, there was a panel of really incredible um, females on the panel, but afterwards I just started flipping out and telling my team, like, I don't know who this Mimi woman is, but like, I have to talk to her. We have to know her. She's got to come in. You were by far my favorite panelist. Um, no disrespect you. to anyone else that was on the <laughs> panel, but it was such an incredible day in general, yeah. but you had the biggest impact on me on anyone on the panel, so I was just like how can we reconnect and thank you so, I was so excited to yeah spend time well with you. you know I I was really intrigued because one I went home with your lovely um button-up shirt so thank you for that um and we were talking before we started recording about how I have a ton of button-up shirts in my closet that I just never wore because they were uncomfortable and I felt sort of stuffy and you know I couldn't really just relax I'm a t-shirt kind of girl and so um, I was telling Audrey that I left my gift sitting on my desk for like a week. <laughs> and I was like, oh, some more button up shirts going to go in the closet. And then I took one out and I put it on and I was like, OK, this has changed my life. So I was really excited because that was sort of your mis- mission, right, to yep. make like the perfect button up shirt. But yep. prior to Grayson, you founded Frank and Eileen. So tell me about that. Yeah, so um, this is our 10-year anniversary for Frank and Eileen. Wow. Um, and actually, when the whole way this company started was an accident. So um, That's I'd, how most amazing things really? happen, right? Oh, okay, Accidents. good to know. So <laughs> I was in a factory working on a tissue cashmere program, actually, and I, had, I already had a couple other companies already. And... Um, they left me waiting in a room for too long. And so I started snooping around, which is how things end up happening. And I found this book of the most beautiful, classic menswear Italian shirting fabrics. And I just obsessed. I couldn't think about anything else. So the guy finally came back to show me my tissue cashmere. And I'm like, oh, that's lovely. But can I borrow this book? <laughs> and he's like, that the book is really old. It's completely irrelevant. I was like, great. So you don't mind if I borrow it for a week? I'll bring it back. And he's just like, didn't even know what to do with me. Like, oh, sure, you can borrow this <laughs> stupid book. And so I leave, go home, and I call Italy and have no idea why they answered my call and sent someone out to Los Angeles to meet with me. And But when I was going through the book, I'm like, wait a minute. Why are these incredibly beautiful fabrics made for men? Right. What about for women? <laughs> right. Why don't we get to wear this every single day? And I'm the opposite of you. I'm not a T-shirt girl. So I don't like T-shirts. I don't know why. But I wanted to make button-up shirts that act as T-shirts. So they're as comfortable as a T-shirt. You can wear it every single day, super versatile. So for me, like, I call the button-up shirt my armor. So it's, yeah. like, my daily armor that I go out in every day. Um, I think the, we all have the sort of a uniform. Fight. Yeah. Right? Exactly. I, I get it. So let me go back a little bit. Okay. okay. So <laughs> I want to know what your obsession with button-up shirts <laughs> is to begin with, but... What was what was Audrey doing before the Frank and Eileen? What 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 were what was like your life like? 
Um, yeah, I think how I ended up here probably makes absolutely no sense. Um, <laughs> but as a kid, I remember I would always interview people and try to figure out how they got where they got in their career. And yeah. I learned really early on that it rarely makes sense. Never. Mm-hmm. So that was like, okay, that's really interesting to know. It doesn't have to make sense. Um, but I grew up, my parents were from Ireland. Um, and they left Ireland to immigrate to the U.S. for the idea of like, you know, a better life for their family that they were going to have. Yeah. Um, you know, and the world was so different back then. We didn't have email. We didn't have cell phones. We didn't have any kind of technology. Mm-hmm. So when you left, you really left. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, I mean, my, you know, my mom's one of 10 kids and left her family, was best friends with her mom and, um, you know, would literally get to call her mom twice a year and would sit on the phone for like four hours and sobbing and we'd get these huge phone bills and she couldn't call for another six months. So, um, but I think it had a really big effect on how I grew up and the way I thought about things. Mm-hmm. Um, and later in life realized like what a big impact it was, a sacrifice that my parents made, especially my mom, right. to leave the most amazing place on earth, Ireland, and come to the U.S. and like what that really meant and making sure that I really did something with that opportunity that she created for mm-hmm. me. Um, but growing up, so when so we didn't have any family in the United States and it was very expensive to travel and we didn't have any money. So mm-hmm. we only got to see our family maybe every five years. So we really grew up in a very like insular way. Mm-hmm. And we had no friends because my dad was an alcoholic and highly abusive. So it's very hard to bring friends home from school in that kind of environment. So right. it's easier just to not really have any friends. And um, so I think that probably really shaped a lot of things. And watching um, watching my mom in that dynamic where she was like such a strong, powerful woman but couldn't leave my dad and what that meant to her and feeling like she didn't have a choice. She had three young kids and yeah. couldn't live without him. But living with him was, you know, was so toxic. So... I think from a really young age, I just thought all the time, like, how can I do everything differently? Like, what can I do so that I don't ever have to be dependent on someone else? I don't ever have to answer to anyone else. And I don't ever have to do something that's not healthy for me. Right. So I think that's where so much of my entrepreneurial drive came from. Mm -hmm. And then you went to school for engineering. Yeah. (laughs) So I was like nerdy when I was young and, um, so not girly, like no one would ever imagine that I would end up in the fashion business, but, um, I just loved math and science naturally. Mm -hmm. And my dad was an engineer and, you know, that was the, the one thing that probably he contributed when I was young was that he would help me with math and stuff because he loved it and he wanted me to, I was his firstborn son. So that was like important for him, (laughs) for me to grow up and be an engineer, I guess. So I did. Um, so I, I grew up and went to engineering school is the only thing that I thought about doing. And I applied to one school and I got in on early admission and that was just it. That was it. Mm-hmm. And then you went from that to this obsession with button up shirts. <laughs> yeah, I guess. Um, <laughs> I went to Georgia Tech and I studied industrial engineering. And then when I graduated, it was um, the very end of 1999. It was the middle of a, um, the first dot-com boom. Mm-hmm. So I moved from um, Atlanta to Boston. I worked for an MIT startup. And uh, it was good times had by all especially if you were a girl. Um, so there were like no female developers. So you got to participate in all the excess mm-hmm. if you were the only female. So we, the company I worked for had a $4 million house on Cape. So you could work on weekends uh. and a Ferrari to drive to the Cape. It was really ridiculous. So <laughs> it's real Sounds obvious, <laughs> really obvious why that bubble burst. 
Um, you know, so when um, it was really, I mean, I was working around the most brilliant people in the world. It was really interesting. And then when that dot-com bubble was bursting, I just I had always had this burn to learn manufacturing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I thought that Los Angeles would be the place to do that domestically. So I just packed up all my stuff one day and found an apartment and a car on Craigslist and moved to Los Angeles by myself. See, I, lo- I love stories like this because I think that um, a lot of times people assume that if you're successful, you've sort of had like this easy road up until where, you know, where, where you are at this, at this point in time. And so for me, I had posted or I took a picture of this homeless man um, who was sitting on the ground. I was sitting in my car. This was a couple years back. And I snapped a picture of him and I posted on my Instagram about how that could have been me. And I shared a little bit about being a teen runaway and how I've been homeless twice in Los Angeles, actually three, wow. once with my oldest daughter, and how the way that you see yourself and, and the ability that you have to sort of move past your circumstances really can decide where your life is going to be. And mm-hmm. if I didn't have that or if I didn't, you know, at some point know within myself that I had this, like, I don't know, this, this eagerness to do something, that, that could have been me. Right. And it opened up the floodgates because then everybody was like, what? I thought you were just like this, you know, great, you know, chick who has all these clothes and this really pretty house <laughs> and you have a husband and all these things and never would have thought that, you know, sort of those things happened. So that sort of forced me to talk about, you I know. think it's so interesting you say that because I think maybe that's, and, and it's obviously what you enjoy talking about and it's so important because I think there is this perception that successful entrepreneurs had, you know, had this leg up at the beginning or everything was so great and they leveraged that when I actually think it might be the exact opposite. Mm-hmm. I think the unbelievable burn in your belly that's required to be an entrepreneur usually comes from really deep hardships. And, you know, probably the most famous example would be Steve Jobs, right? I mean, he was adopted and I just Mm -hmm. think he had so much to prove and what that meant to him and being able to prove what he was worth. Mm -hmm. I mean, obviously became one of the most influential people of our entire generation. So I think sometimes... It would be great, you know, I think it's so important to talk about it because I think sometimes the greatest entrepreneurs are born out of, you know, pain and hardship (laughs) and that you've you've been able to fight your way out of all of that and you want something different and better than than what where you came from. Yeah, yo, you know, I I found I think that my kids, even though I became a mom at a really young age, I was a mom by the time I was sixteen years old, right? So I think that um, I attribute a lot of sort of my toughness to the fact that I had kids because I wanted, now I was a shitty parent, but (laughs) but you're 16, you're a shitty parent. You know what I'm saying? Especially because I didn't have somebody to teach me how to be a parent. So for me, I just wanted to give them something that I didn't have. Um, But sometimes I wonder if I had not had kids if I would have still had that same sort of eagerness to do something, right? Um, as a as a woman, right? You're an entrepreneur, and you have had great success with Frank and Eileen. I mean, everybody wears them. Oprah wears it. Meghan Marco wears it. Reese Witherspoon. Everybody wears it. <laughs> and then you decide to do Grayson. So what what changed? What went from that to Grayson? Yeah, like, I what think was what the... you're saying, you know, like having a child becoming a mother completely changes your life, mm-hmm. right? No matter how old. I'm the opposite. I was almost a 40 year old mom, so. Um, it completely changes your perspective. Mm-hmm. And so having Grayson, all of a sudden, I, I realized, oh, 
women are fucking superheroes. Right. (laughs) There's no other way to explain it. Like the light bulb went off. And Mm -hmm. so all of a sudden I just started looking at the world really differently and looking at all the women around me, especially the younger generation of women who are just literally looking at everything differently, rewriting the rules, ignoring every rule that we, you know, that my generation just accepted as we were growing up and being like, you know what? Between them and then looking at my own daughter being the next generation, Mm -hmm. I just became incredibly inspired to start a new modern brand all about the idea of I want every single woman in the world to be able to realize and admit that she's a fucking superhero and give her permission to feel that and know that and and share that with other women. I think that could be really powerful. So... Um, you know, I come from the DIY community, and so all the women who follow, most of the women who follow me, at some point either want to learn to sew or have been sewing and want to sort of, you know, um, create their own fashion brands. I get asked every day, Mimi, why don't you have your own collection? And it's just not something that I really wanted to do. My sort of jam is in teaching and, you know, inspiring people to do whatever it is that they want to do. Not that I don't want to have it, it just hasn't been my goal. But what I noticed is that everybody wants a fucking fashion label. Everybody (laughs) wants to be a designer. So I want to know, going from engineering to then starting Frank and Eileen and now Grayson, like, what was that like for you? What was, like, some, like, I don't know if I can do this shit kind of moments uh, in starting that Yeah, I mean, I think I'm the unintentional designer. I mean, forever... I, you know, people say, are you a designer? And I would say no. So I don't really identify (laughs) with that. Um, It's obviously part of my job, but I think it's, you know, it's one of so many parts that I don't necessarily identify with it that way. But, um, and it, and I never wanted to be a designer. So I always wanted to be a business person. I always wanted to be an entrepreneur. I knew I wanted to grow something from nothing. I just Mm -hmm. didn't know what that was. Um, And it kind of happened, um, again, by accident, I think. Mm -hmm. Um, I had... I had my first business was named after my mom. It was called Una. And it was a multi-brand retail store, a boutique, like a small little, you know, Fred Siegel or some type store. Tiny, 644 square feet in Manhattan Beach. It was amazing. (laughs) And at the time, I would order all these products from, you know, great brands. And um, and there were certain items that I would just sell out of and call back and reorder and reorder. Mm -hmm. And I would call and I'd be, they'd say, oh, we have... Uh, how many do you have left in stock? We have a hundred. Great. I'll take them all. And they'd be like, what <laughs> are you doing with this? I'm like, I could sell this to every single person that walks in the door and maybe two or three of them. Mm-hmm. And then they would discontinue it as fashion does. Right. And I wouldn't be able to get it anymore. So after this happened a few times, I was thinking, you know what? If I could make vertical product, I would be able to control how long something lives. And if I could keep giving it to the customer over and over, I wouldn't need to kill it off. Mm-hmm. So it kind of started by accident that way. So Um, then meeting with a bunch of manufacturers to figure out who could make the best quality, Mm -hmm. um, you know, all that kind of stuff. And when I finally found, um, the partner who I'm still 13 years later partners with, they basically wouldn't give me the time of day. Um, literally basically like, you're pretty and this is, (laughs) you're cute, but we're not interested. (laughs) And I was like, you can tell me your terms and your pricing and we're working together. Right. So let me know what, you know, let me know what those are. (laughs) So they gave me ridiculous minimums and ridiculous payment terms. And I'm like, great. It's a pleasure doing business with you. And I went home and just like sat in my garage where my office was and was like, (laughs) how am I going to meet these minimums? I have one store, right? So I was in the process of opening a second, third, and fourth store, but even with four stores, when that was going to happen, it still wasn't even close to enough to meeting these minimums. 
Um, so I called up a trade show at the time. Everybody would launch at this trade show called Designers and Agents. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was an incredible place to discover new designers. So I called them up in New York and said, oh, hi, my name is Audrey McLaughlin. Like, how do I apply to Designers and Agents? And the woman, Barbara, that owned Designers and Agents, from my recollection said, <laughs> apply like you're applying to Bonnie's. And like hung up the phone on oh. me, basically. <laughs> Sorry, Barbara. Um, I was like, what does that mean? And I didn't, I didn't know a soul in the fashion. I had no idea what that meant, right? right. So I'm like, okay, I'm just going to pretend like I know what that means. I'm going to put together a box and send it to them. So I sent it to them. And a week later, she did tell me, like, I think every Thursday they reviewed collections. So that next Thursday came and a gentleman called and said, hi, are you Audrey McLaughlin? And I said, yes. He said, hi, I'm Ed Mandelbaum. I'm the owners of, owner of Designers and Agents. And your collection is the best thing we've seen come across our panel in years. Wow. I'm like, what? <laughs> so I really? launched, it was a knit collection. It was seven styles and seven colors. And he said, I, not only are you accepted to the show, but I'd really love to launch your collection for you. And I was like, okay, great. <laughs> so, so he launched the collection for me in his New York showroom and we worked together. And so, it would, you know, it's all these things that are, end up being like, you know, you like set this goal, but how am I going to get there? I mean, it's a really... It's a really, like, you know, you don't know what that road is going to look like, and you just have to, like, knock down one thing at a time. Like, if I want to make product and I want to make the best product, okay, now what do I have to do to do that? And then how am I going to meet the minimums? And so um, I launched this wholesale brand to be able to meet the minimums. (laughs) You know, I think now the way that sort of we live with social media and everything, um, people have this idea that, you know, you just start something and then, you know, a week from now you're like blown up and everything. You know what I'm saying? Like there's this like false sense of reality. Um, And I read something that you had filled out where you said to be an overnight success, it's like five to 10 years of blood, sweat and tears. I used to say it takes five years to become an overnight success. And then five years came and went and I crossed it out. So it takes 10 years to become an overnight success. Yeah. So I might be slow, (laughs) but um, I think, you know, I think things are always harder than they look on the outside and you know I'm I'm born of a time that social media didn't exist so you didn't have all this stuff where you got to see other people you know what they were doing and everything looked so glossy but I think I don't think it's ever as glossy as it looks on the outside you know I think there's an enormous amount of blood sweat and tears that goes into anything yeah but people keep showing us the glossy part yeah I think that's why I started business shit well, I started for a couple of reasons. One is, you know, I found that nobody wanted to tell you how to do shit. I mean, they'll give you like the fluff. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Like they'll tell you oh, all the, oh, the, do this and do that. But nobody really gives you like a hand holding. You need to do this shit in order to get to where you want to go. And so that's why I wanted to do it. I'm like, I need to be able to tell people how to get things done, how to change their perception, how to change their mindset, how to, you know, think that, hey, yes, you might have grown up in a really shitty situation and things might have been really bad for you. And maybe they're even bad for you now, Mm -hmm. but that really doesn't dictate where you're going to be. Um, But I don't think social media does that. Social media just sort of shows you that, you know, you're going to be like popular and people are going to like you and then brands are going to come and you're going to get money and then you can start all these things. But it's really not like that. So what are some of the you know, harder things that you've had to go through? Because you've been an entrepreneur for a really long time. I have been. I think um, I think I started my first company when I was about 25. I think it was maybe like 2004. So, yeah, probably maybe 15 years ago now. Nice. I mean, it's, <laughs> I work just as hard now as I did then. Um, you know, so it's a, it's a long, long road. But I think... Um, 
you know, I just think things are, for me anyway, I think maybe sometimes people tell me I make it look easy. Mm -hmm. And I think, well, that's interesting. Like, I must make it look easy from the outside. But if you are on my inside, if you were my family Mm -hmm. or my child or my partner, then you would not think it looked easy at all, you know? Yes, I would definitely agree. So I've not been an entrepreneur that long because I think I became an entrepreneur by accident too because I've always worked a job. You know, I started working when I was 17 years old and I worked in corporate America. And then I worked in film and production, which oddly enough, um, you know, ended up being really great for my current career, Mm -hmm. (laughs) which I didn't appreciate at the time. Um, But leaving there, I was like, oh, wait, I know a lot about this, you know, this sort of, you know, video and filming and and all that stuff. So, um, but, you know, when people say that it looks easy and, and I tell people all the time, like, I'm happy to give you my blueprint. I will tell you exactly what I do every day, what I did to get here. I will tell you exactly every step Okay, but the the bottom line is that I cannot give you all of the nervousness and anxiety (laughs) and stress and bullshit that comes with being an entrepreneur because I didn't necessarily ask to be an entrepreneur. It sort of developed. And then I was like, oh, wait a minute. What are you going to do? Right. You're either going to make it happen or you're not going to make it happen. And Mm -hmm. so I've sort of learned a little hard along the way. But people need to, especially women, I think, really need to understand that it takes a lot of work. And the, if they could feel the inside of me, yeah. <laughs> right, and not what I post on Instagram, they would really uh, consider whether or not they want to take sort of that journey, you know. Yeah. As I a, mean, now it's like, you know, it's kind of almost fun to tell stories. Like, I, <laughs> I don't realize that other people don't know the stories. Like, you know, when I launched you know, pre-social media and stuff, you launched a wholesale brand. So you would need to go to the best stores in the world. So you need to sell Ron Herman, Fred Siegel, you need to sell Barney. So I'm in Los Angeles, right? So I'm trying to sell Ron Herman, Fred Siegel, and they won't answer any of my emails or any of my calls, right? So I'm like, and then it turns out they have the same production partner as me. So I go to my production partner and say, please, can you get Ron Herman to please answer my, Mm -hmm. you know, my come see me at the trade show or something. The message comes back. He doesn't want to have anything to do with you. You both have stores. You both have collections. He doesn't want to. Doesn't want to know you. Okay. Well, I want to know him. So how are we <laughs> going to do this? So I sit down one night and I write this this long email. And in my mind, I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. Right. And I don't know his email address. So I like make up a bunch of emails like Ron at Ron Herman, Ron Herman at Ron Herman, mm-hmm. R H at Ron Herman. I just send it to everything, and they all bounce back, but one doesn't. Right. So. He calls me back, and he calls me the next day and says, like, what's the catch? I say, there is no catch. And we set up a meeting in his office. And he starts saying to me, okay, I don't understand. So we both work with the same manufacturing partner, but Audrey, they make beautiful product. But dear God, they're so hard to work with. How do you do it? Mm. I was like, oh, that's easy. I sleep at the factory. I have a couch there and my dog and, and like, a toothbrush, and I just sleep there, like, <laughs> maybe five nights a week. And he's like, I'm sorry, you do what? I was like, yeah, I sleep there. I'm the first person there when they get there in the morning. I'm the last person they see at night. They can't avoid me. Right. I pay rent at the factory and sleep there. And I have a refrigerator. And I only eat goat cheese and Triscuits all day, every day. (laughs) And I make Irish tea. And that's it. That's what I lived on. I did this for maybe six years. So not like six months, six years. 
And um, so that's actually how our relationship started. He's like, you know what? You're willing to do things I'm not willing to do. Let's partner and make product together. So not only did I get to be in Ron Herman, Fred Siegel, mm -hmm. but he helped me develop product for years. Then when I decided to um, launch um, Frank and Eileen, he's the first person I went to. He's like, 100%, I'll launch it for you. Um, and then when he launched um, Ron Herman in Japan, mm -hmm. he called me at one of the store openings and was like, you need to get here in Japan. Everybody loves, he brought Frank and Eileen to Japan for me and, um, launched it and they loved it. And he literally called me one day, like, you need to get here. People love you. And I'm like, he's like, you're famous in Japan. And I was like, Ron, <laughs> I am famous nowhere. And he's like, if you buy your ticket, I'll buy the, ho I mean, if you book the ticket, I'll book the hotel. And I was like, oh, Oh, we're doing, okay, we're doing this. Okay, I'll see you tomorrow. And I jumped on a plane and flew wow. to Japan. And long story short, we, over many very painful years with a lot of different clocks on my wall to tell what time it was in Japan, Italy, New York, and LA, we became the number one brand in Japan. Wow, that's incredible. Yeah. You know, and there's a lot to be said for tenacity. <laughs> yes, there is. <laughs> yes, there is. Do you think that's missing in this generation? Um... I mean, to be honest, it's so hard. I don't know if I can relate to this generation yet. Mm -hmm. Like, I'm going to have to learn because I have a four-year-old now. Um, and, you know, so it'll be really interesting to learn. Um, but, you know, from the – it's hard because, you know, I a lot of the women that work with me are younger. Mm -hmm. and But, you know, we're very careful in trying to pick people that really do have an entrepreneurial spirit and, mm -hmm. a, you know, a little bit of a burn in their belly even though they're not entrepreneurs themselves. I'm not sure. I think – you know, only time will tell what the long-term effects of growing up with social media and all this technology is, mm -hmm. but I'm not sure I would have wanted to have grown up that way. I think I can't imagine being a young girl in those formative years of maybe like 14 to 20 or something mm -hmm. and seeing all this stuff in your face every day that just looks so glamorous and so easy and so, and you're not getting to see any of the hard work behind the scenes right. or what, what sacrifices they're having to make to do it or, or how much they're having to invest to do it or anything else. Right. I think it, it's hard. It's like, a, it's an unprecedented level of peer pressure and outside, um, you know, standards to live up to yeah. where, I mean, I only had to deal with the kids in my high school and that was hard enough. <laughs> <laughs> no, I told, you know, I have, I have kids in almost every generation. <laughs> so I, I have a millennial, I have Gen X and whatever other labels. Funny enough, we were sitting at dinner last night and we were talking, you know, my two Gen X as they like to refer themselves. Um, really? They're like, mom, you're a Gen X. Um, they're like, Norris, you're a millennial. Um, we're Gen hilarious. Zs. I'm like, okay. <laughs> and, and I'm listening to them as they're talking about what I'm doing. And it's funny because I, you know, my daughter is obsessed with makeup, like I told you. Mm -hmm. And so this huge YouTube star, um, Jeffree Star, I think is his name, oh, just yeah. launched a whole new palette of eye color. And she says to me, mom, um, oh man, I wish I could get on his press list. And I was like, oh, I'll, I'll hit my PR agency and tell him to put me on, on his list. And she was like, you could do that? She's like, I thought only like big celebrities could do it. And I was like... <laughs> Okay, <laughs> but, but it got me thinking about how, you know, for them, for especially my two youngest, 16 and 12, you know, they think that everything sort of happens on Instagram and TikTok. And that is a little scary because they don't necessarily understand all of the steps that it takes to be able to do all of these things. They right. see, to yeah, build they see, relationships, to build, and build relationships. your reputation. And yeah. And, you know, and sometimes, many times 
well, I, all the time, nothing goes as it's supposed to go. You know, <laughs> exactly. I always have the greatest written out plans, but then shit never happens. I always say, expect the unexpected. Be much better prepared. <laughs> exactly. You know, and so do you find that it was harder um, because you were a woman? Do you find it harder even now? Um, now, I don't know if I would say now, but certainly, especially when I was younger, I, I think, you know, I think on some level, it's like we, my generation, I feel like we just learned these rules that we live by and things were harder and we just took it for granted. Um, and it's like, it just is the way it is. Mm -hmm. Um, and definitely I felt like the younger I was, the harder it was. It was very hard to be taken seriously. I think as a, as a businesswoman when I was young, um, and I think the older I've gotten, I think part of it is my experience, but part of it is just my maturity and like looking older, I think has helped a lot. Um, <laughs> so I, I find, especially once I over 40, then I think it's like, all right, now, now it's kind of fine, but you know, it's still different. Like there's always been this boys club, um, mm -hmm. you know, and I think I looked at it a really specific way until more recently when I really, when I launched Grayson and thought about what I wanted to achieve and what I wanted to build with that brand and, really it's having like this idea of a, of what men always did really like there's so much negative connotation around the boys club. But I think what it originally started as is men just having each other's back. Yeah. Like, Oh, you need something. Let me reach into my network and help you. And I think it was, it was such a nice way for them to all have each other's back. And it grew into this incredible thing where they had all these advantages because they were part of this boys club and women have never done that for each other. Right. And it's almost kind of heartbreaking. Like what took us so long, so long. to actually look at what men have been doing for generations. Mm -hmm. And now I feel like finally we're living in a world where people are open to hearing that. And like, let's start our own unbelievable you know, girls club, women's club of community where everyone's actually out there not trying to keep their own secrets to themselves, right. but like sharing it and helping everyone and opening up your, your network or your, um, you know, your secrets and mm -hmm. your, your life hacks and your work hacks. And like, how did you do this or do that? And like really just support women. And, you know, for me making everybody realize, I think, you know, whether women are saying, oh, I, I've always felt like I couldn't wear a button up or I don't know how to start a business because my parents don't have money or I didn't go to business school. It's like, no, 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 no. Hold on. You are a fucking superhero. Right. You need to own that. Like, figure out what are your superpowers. Like, mm -hmm. okay, like, let's list them. Just figure out what they are mm -hmm. and then channel those and, like, own that and be confident enough and don't, you know, I think sometimes people are afraid of that or, yeah. you know, all the different stigmas that went along with being, you know, a, a powerful girl yeah. before and stuff so yeah I, I completely agree my you know my mom um is a nine-to-fiver you know she never never even thought about being an entrepreneur and a lot of her generation just never that what like you work a job you okay. go to school you get married you have children you know you do all of these things um and now I think um one of my greatest joys is that my daughters especially my two oldest have seen this evolution you right. know from being you know working 16 hour days in film and production, being stressed the fuck out. And, you know, I used to tell, um, when I speak, I, I always tell people I would go home and I would have literally a nervous breakdown in my bathroom, Aww. stressed and trying to figure out how I'm going to pay the light bill or feed the kids or whatever. And then you just pull yourself together and then you go and you make dinner, you know, mm -hmm. and then you start the next day again. And so I think that they've had a chance to sort of see all the different levels. You know, eight years ago, we were in an apartment. 
and I could barely afford to pay the bills, you know, and now I have a 5,000 square foot house and the kids don't have to worry about those things. Right. So for me, it's really new, you know, being an entrepreneur. Yeah, it's got to be success. incredible for them to see that journey. Like when you say it, I mean, I had many, 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 many years of 16 hour days, but I've always done it as an entrepreneur. So I think it's, it's probably a very different feeling and toll on your body because you're working 16 hours a day for somebody else. Right. And that what are your... What are the chances that's going to fundamentally change where you are mm -hmm. in that, um, you know, in that company or or in that industry? Where, as an entrepreneur, in at least in theory, you have full control over what you're doing, when you're doing it, how you're doing it. So, if you're choosing to work 16 hours a day, it's because you're choosing to do that because you're trying to build something. Mm -hmm. That yeah, then you get to look back and and look at how far you came. And you know, sometimes there's big up ups and downs in entrepreneurship, but you still at least, I think there's this calming effect of like, I'm never really exhausted because I'm doing it for myself. Right. I'm enjoying even my tiredness. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, I didn't really have a whole lot of people to sort of look up to and say, oh, you know, I actually didn't even really know any entrepreneurs when I was growing up. Um, it wasn't until I started working in film production that my boss took a sort of like a real interest in what I was doing. He found it amazing that I could make my own clothes. Oh, wow. uh, I would come in with a coat or a dress and he would be <laughs> like, you made it? And I'm like, yeah. He's like, like in your house? I'm like, yeah, like I made it at home. And he was just like, you need to be doing something else. And I remember, you know, even after starting the blog and even after I was, you know, had a little bit of success with like sponsorships and bringing in money. He said to me, you're going to leave me soon. And I was oh. like, are you kidding me? I'm not going anywhere. Steve, I need you to pay me every two weeks. <laughs> I was terrified. I had this fear of like, what, an entrepreneur? No, like there's no way. I saw him stress out. I saw all the things that went along with that. And I was like, no, like I need you to give me a check every two weeks because that's where I'm safe. And he looked at me and he said, when you're ready, you'll know. And that's exactly what happened. I woke up one morning, I turned off my alarm clock, and I was like, I'm fucking quitting. Like, I'm that's done. That's amazing. It's and so great he saw it before you saw it. He, you know? he definitely saw it way before I saw oh, that's it. that's fantastic. Yeah. Um, and we're still friends today. And, you know, one of the things that I appreciate is that um, he was one of those people who wanted to pour into me. So experiences I had never had, he wanted to give them to me. And um, he wanted to teach me and he let me sit in on calls and I would listen to him negotiate. Wow. And what a great mentor for you. Absolutely amazing. And I didn't even realize it until I started my own business. And I was like, wow, I've learned so much, you know, just from listening to him. And because he was fearless, I think that's how I approached being an entrepreneur is just sort of having that, you know, gut to say, yeah, that's, that doesn't work for me. I want this, right. you know, and to sort of go, go after that. So you've had incredible success and I'm sure you're not going to stop there. So what's, what's next? What are you doing? Um, well, Grayson, we just launched six months ago, maybe eight months I ago know. now. <laughs> so that's in its that's infancy. Crazy. So it's, it's a lot of work and we're, we're really building the business in a really different way. Like Frank and Eileen was, was, um, you know, started as a traditional wholesale model. So that had a different set of challenges and, um, with Grayson, we're really launching it digital first. Um, but I launched it with what I call a sustainably hybrid, um, vertical brand business model. So we do have a wholesale component as well so that we don't have to raise capital to spend money on all the stuff we want to do to reach Got out it. to people. Um, but with Grayson, we're doing a lot of like a lot of women's events and um, all that kind of stuff like that. So we can really like touch these women in the community and like talk to them and empower them and um, build it that in that kind of grassroots way. Mm -hmm. um, so that's we have a you know a lot in the work for 2020. 
for that. And um, and then with Frank and Eileen, it's our this year's our has been our ten year anniversary, which is kind of hard to believe. So we've been <laughs> spending um, the last few months really, really, really looking at like, okay, who have we been for the last ten years mm-hmm. as a brand, as product, like all the struggles, like what have we learned, and then what? How do we want to frame that as who we want to be for the next ten years? Mm-hmm. So we're really working on that and figuring out it's not only the end of our ten year anniversary, but it's the end of a decade, right? Mm-hmm. So we're going into a whole new decade yeah. in January, which is kind of crazy. So we really want to be intentional about who we want to be for the next ten years. So I have a, a question. I think um, listeners would would be interested to know, um, just on, from a business perspective. Um, you know, the first thing I did to be quite honest, and I, and I told you this when I got the shirt, is I looked at the construction of it because yeah. I make all my clothes, right? I make 70% of my own clothes. So that's the very first, hard for me to shop because that's the first thing I look at it. I'm like, oh, look at these seams or look at, the, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> um, and so I was very impressed with the construction. Oh, so thank kudos you. to you. Um, but curious, you had success or have success with Frank and Eileen. Mm-hmm. Why start a whole nother brand as opposed to just adding maybe a lesser cost Right. Sure. I mean, well, I spent, I mean, a, probably a couple years when my, when my human Grayson was a baby, like thinking about it. And I considered all options, but Frank and Eileen is so special. I mean, it's this idea of, you know, using these incredible menswear Italian fabrics to like reinvent the button up shirt for women. And it has, it has just such a specific place in the world and like a very niche market. And mm-hmm. I really love that customer. And I love, I love what it means. And I, I didn't want to do anything to take away from that. And at the same time, I didn't feel like it would be authentic to Frank and Eileen to, to like have this whole mission driven, like women are fucking superheroes idea. And so I felt like it needed to be its own standalone, but my superpower is button up shirts. (laughs) So it was natural that the core DNA of that would also be like trying to make one ridiculously perfect shirt that makes you feel like a superhero every day. Got it. So the fabrics are great for Grayson. So really what separates as far as, you know, where you source and what you do for Frank and Eileen versus what you do for Grayson? Yeah, so Frank and Eileen, as I was saying, I accidentally stumbled on this Italian book. Mm -hmm. And um, I've been exclusive partners with this Italian mill now for 10 years. And so we do all of our design and development and um, fabric production with them in Italy. So that in and of itself just makes it really, really special, right? I mean, there's just the... The, you know, the way that Italians make fabric is like different than anybody in the world. So you can't really, you can't really compete with that. Um, And for Grayson, we wanted it to be uh, more inclusive. We wanted a more inclusive size scale. We wanted more inclusive pricing. Um, We wanted more inclusive fit. Mm -hmm. And so it took a really long time to really figure out the supply chain for that because um, there's no other incredibly beautiful button-up shirt with a perfect fit and perfect fabrics in this price range between $100 and $200. And I think that's just because it's really hard to do. Right. Um, and so we really got lucky because it was actually my Italian partners, which is a family-owned mill in Italy. It was um, the head of the mill introduced me to long-time Italian family friends of theirs that had moved from Italy to Mexico. And they had started... Um, they created the number one menswear brand in Mexico. Mm-hmm. So it's all this like very like Italian sensibility and Italian craftsmanship and all this stuff um, in menswear. And when I was visiting their factory one day, um, I mean, it's the most beautiful factory you've ever seen <laughs> in your in your life. It's like, it's crazy. Um, but I was visiting, I was watching all these beautiful Italian men's shirts come off the line. 
But I had this moment, I had this like pit in my stomach and I was like, those are not from our Italian mill. Like you are <laughs> cheating on the person that referred us. So I was like, oh my gosh, I can't believe you work with another Italian mill. Like, right. really? And they're like, oh no, no, we make that product vertically. And I was like, I'm sorry, what'd you just say? <laughs> How much does that shirt retail for? And they told me, I was like, we need to go upstairs right now, right, right. now. We have to talk. <laughs> so we went upstairs and I'm like, this is what I've been looking for. I mean, if you can produce at this taste level and this quality and this price point, we could launch an entire women's brand together. Um, and it's this great like secret because they don't even produce for other people. We're their only client, right? So they're their own vertical brand in, in Mexico. And so it's this very, um, really nice like family partnership between our Italian family and this family in Mexico. So Amazing. that's how we were able to do it. Well, I love them. I'm a huge fan. And so I'm probably, can I leave here with more? Is there like a <laughs> stock or something? You're like, there's seven days in I'm a like, week listen. and I currently have, let me see two. So that would mean I need. <laughs> um, you know, do you have, and this is just for my own curiosity, but we spoke briefly before we started about morning routines. And it's funny because I was just <laughs> reading this article about how every person who's successful wakes up at four o'clock in the morning and I'm like, you can have that shit. Um, but... <laughs> Uh, do you have something that you have to do in the mornings? Like, is there something that, you know, you, you have on your list of yeah, like, I, I have to get pants on before I leave the house. <laughs> I was, we joke about it here all the time. I'm like, if I have to read one more article about, about some your morning super routine? successful woman who gets up at four 30 and meditates and then has her green juice. And I'm like, who, right. who are you? Right. And you have children. I don't understand. My morning is like chaos, right. you know, like, well, I didn't get home from work the night before till 10 o'clock. And then, you know, it's just like madness. And then depends on it. No, it's chaos. I think that's good, though, because because I think that there's this this idea that, you know, all these young girls and young guys coming up to be, you know, entrepreneurs think that they have to do these things. And that's not real life. Like, right. That's not know. real for me. I mean, it's like I'm brushing my teeth. I'm on Amazon ordering like pull-up diapers <laughs> for my daughter. I mean, it's like, you know, just like trying to squeeze all this stuff in. And yeah. it takes me like 10 times longer to get ready than it should because I'm answering emails and I'm answering messages and, you know, trying to get ready for the day. And then, you know, <laughs> it's like chaos. Are you, um, are you a fan of podcasts or like, do you, do you sort of invigorate yourself listening to other people's success stories? I'm obsessed with podcasts. I listen to them all the time. I'm always reading some kind of business book. Yeah. I'm always doing I've always something. been obsessed with, um, entrepreneur biographies. Mm -hmm. So, you know, and before any of these podcasts or audible or anything existed, you know, so I'd carry around these books everywhere. And, um, you know, Danielle, that's worked for me for 15 years would always say, I came up, I come up with my best ideas when trapped on a silver bullet, <laughs> um, which he means flying coach on an airplane back and forth across the country and world. Um, and so I'd bring these books with me and be able to read them like cover to cover on these long trips, like to Italy or Japan or something. And now I'm super grateful that I can listen to them on audible. Or oh my God. I love audible. And Apple books. It's so great. So now I get to read like really good. My, my favorite books, two books I've read recently mm -hmm. are, um, essentialism, mm -hmm. which was kind of life changing. And as sad as it is, I started reading it in 2017 and I never finished. So <laughs> I finally started over, sorry, newbornness, um, started over and read it again. And I'm like obsessed. So I have to read it like twice a year, every year now. Um, and then I actually finally got around to reading, um, um, Yvonne, the founder of Patagonia's book, mm -hmm. which is so good. So he came out with a second edition that added like another 10 years. And, um, oh, nice. you know, that's such a great, great like lifetime entrepreneur 
um, story. So, yeah, I think um, I I listened to them one for just inspiration, but I just love people's stories. It's so good. When I was younger, you know, especially you asked me, like when I was a younger female entrepreneur, it was really hard. And it was very lonely. Like, I didn't know anybody else that was a female entrepreneur. I didn't know anyone growing up. I didn't know anyone in my circles. None of my friends were entrepreneurs. Mm -hmm. I didn't really have friends. Um, And so I think it was hard. I needed to know what other people were going through or had gone through or was what I was going through. Is this really what it's like? I mean, this is fucking bananas. Like, Mm -hmm. is this really what other people are going through? And it would be amazing. Like, I remember reading an article about the founder of GoDaddy, right? And it's like a billion-dollar company now or something. And mm-hmm. I'm, I'm 90% sure it was his story. He, he was, like, trying so hard and about to go bankrupt, and it just every day was a struggle to make payroll. And he came home from work one day and threw himself on the floor and said, that's it. It's finally over. I, I can't possibly make it. I'm not going to make payroll tomorrow. It's over. And his wife basically kicked him and was like, get up. <laughs> <laughs> Quit feeling sorry for yourself. You know, and then the next thing you know, he's like, you know, creates one of the most successful companies. So, you know, I just what I what I learned by like reading these entrepreneur books over and over and over is like the stories were actually really similar. I mean, mm-hmm. the stories of the grit yeah. and the chaos and the sacrifices and um you know, just like going broke and then mm-hmm. being really successful or almost losing your company. And then nobody ever knows these stories, right? I mean, yeah. like Ralph Lauren, who's like the most successful designer of any generation, right? Like he almost went bankrupt multiple times. So mm-hmm. it's like, but nobody ever hears those stories. Right. And so needing to hear them and realize like, okay, you know, especially when all of your circles and friends are not entrepreneurs and you're younger, mm-hmm. like life looks so different from them. And it's like, your life is so crazy and it's like seven days a week, 16 hours a day and like it's nonstop and uh, sometimes you're like, am I doing the right thing or am I doing the absolute wrong thing, you know? So it, it brought me a lot of um, maybe solace or something to like read these <laughs> other entrepreneur books and then now that I'm getting older and so much more experience as an entrepreneur, I think I hear different things from, from the book so mm-hmm. sometimes I like to reread them. Um, now I feel like I can like, apply so much more or understand some of the complexities that maybe I didn't understand when my business was at a smaller scale. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's um, a, a, a thing of constantly feeding yourself, Yeah. Um, especially, you know, for me, because, you know, yeah, I had a mentor, but then I'm like, okay, well, what, you know, nobody's doing this. Nobody's done this one mm-hmm. thing and I don't know, I don't know who to ask, you know? So I just fill myself, you know, with as much information as I possibly can, which is why it's really great to be able to sit down with you and to be able to talk about sort of the evolution of Audrey and all of these amazing things that you've done. Cause it's really inspiring for me. Um, even though it's not necessarily in the same sort of business, but you know, clothing and fashion is my life, right. you know, I just do it in a different way. So if there was, um, or I know there is a lot of women <laughs> listening to this podcast who are thinking of starting a business and becoming entrepreneurs, what's like, you know, something that you, you want to make sure everybody knows about that, that next step? Um, oh, there's thousands of things <laughs> I think that I would probably want to tell people. Um, you know, some of them are, it's like, you got to decide, you got to be really true to yourself, like really figure out what, you know, your superpower is, what your genius zone is, and really focus on that. And 
you know, as soon as you do something really well and have early success, it's so common that then people are going to want to ask you to do a whole bunch of other stuff. Like all of a sudden they want you to solve all of their world problems. Right. And I think learning as an entrepreneur that maybe the most important word you'll ever learn as an entrepreneur is the word no. Mm-hmm. Because you won't understand at a really small scale when your company's new and you have endless energy and you're super excited and you have plenty of resources because you, cause you can work all the time. Mm-hmm. Um you don't really realize what the compound consequence of saying yes to something that you should have said no. And it will take over time, like compounding the complexity and the time and how much you have to repeat doing your business over and over and all the different things you have to do to grow the business. That one yes that you should have said no to will complicate your business or distract you in a way that will, mm-hmm. that will cost you and it'll be hard to measure. So mm-hmm. I think learning to say no is yeah. really important. Yeah, I had to learn that one. Yeah. <laughs> because when I first I was like, yes, yes, I'll do it. Right. Yes, you know, and right. then after a certain while I found myself like, why did I say yes to yeah. this? And I think it's so especially I, I think when it. you're a young entrepreneur, not necessarily young in age, but young in entrepreneurship, I think it's so hard because it's this sign that people are really resonating with what you're doing and this early signs of success. And they're like, wow, that's so amazing. So will you do this or will you do this? Or I really need this. And of course you want to say yes. So you have to be so sure about where you're going and mm-hmm. what you want to accomplish and anything that doesn't absolutely align with that, you just have to say no. Yeah. It will, another opportunity will open up. But if you keep saying yes, um, you may never get to those amazing opportunities that you're going right. to get to because you're too busy now. Yeah. <laughs> I'm glad I've learned that lesson. I'm still learning it, but uh, it's a lot more. more yeah. Uh, I mean, I learned that the hard way. So. <laughs> it's a lot easier now to say no. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, I can't do it. Audrey, thank you so much for your time. This was really great. Um, I'm really inspired by everything that you've done and what you're continuing to do. And, you know, when you guys reached out about, you know, the I am a voter, uh, I was super excited to do it because I think that's a really uh, important message that doesn't often get talked about. So if I can be of service to you in any way going further, I am here for that. Yeah, us as well. We would love to have a long-term partnership with you. I I love everything that you talk about and... I love Thank the you. accidental things. Like that's what the <laughs> I am a voter was accidental. Like when I met Mandana at, at an event, it was just like, who are you? What are you doing? I mean, I live under a rock, so I didn't know about it. And I was like, we want to be part of this. Like, how can we do it? So that yeah. was, you know, that was super exciting. And I love what you're doing. And I, my favorite part of entrepreneurship, I think at this point in my journey, because my head doesn't have to be quite as down as much as it did for the first 10 years. Mm-hmm. Um, as I love, I love the idea of showing like the underbelly of entrepreneurship, like the real, the gritty stuff. And so I'm happy to help any female entrepreneurs on their journey of like, you know, maybe avoiding some of the mistakes that I made, (laughs) getting you there faster so that it's not 10 years to overnight success. I'd like to help you be five years to being an overnight success. (laughs) Very good. Thank you so much for, for hanging out with me. Guys, I hope you um, enjoyed this episode and that you are just as inspired as I am. Please um, make sure and listen and share it with your friends. And please visit Grayson.com and get yourself a shirt because trust me, it feels so good. And I'm super excited. Your actionable to do for today is to, if you're looking to start a business, is to make a list and to really find out what your fucking superpower is. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you guys for listening. In order for your business to succeed, it has to be the shit. It needs to solve a problem, help them get past their current stage, earn respect and build trust. I'm out.